And a warm welcome to you also if you're accessing us via a screen. Uh, our prayer, as always, is that you will have that sense of God being among us as we worship together. Our call to worship comes from Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're going to sing together. Uh, please stand if you're able. Love divine, all loves excelling. Oh, 
sit down, friends. Um, just before we come to prayer, I'm given to understand that it was somebody's birthday recently. Hayden, oh, how old are you now? Thirteen. So he's going he's gonna to change from that delightful young man into a horrible, nasty teenager. Oh, dreadful. We shall sing, as is our custom. Oh, wait a moment. Oh, I don't know. Are we singing to Grace as well? Are we indeed? All right. I'm, I am not going to ask Grace. So, happy birthday, dear Grace, and you're only 49. Excellent. Happy birthday, dear Grace and Hayden. That way round, all right? So, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Grace and Hayden. Happy birthday to you. Excellent. <laughs> Survived another year. Let's, let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, we delight in your presence. It's good to be able to celebrate uh, continuing life. It's good to be able to to celebrate new life. We're delighted every day that we wake up. It's a new day and it's your gift to us. And we are delighted with that. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. As we read at the very beginning of our service, you promised to send the Holy Spirit and he is with us now. Love divine, all love's excelling. Warm our hearts, we pray. Warm our hearts towards the one who has saved us. Warm our hearts towards the one who has made us. Warm our hearts towards one another. Warm our hearts towards all those around us who are lost and alone. Father God, will you just encourage us today? Will you just draw near to us and Speak tenderly to us about your great love, not just for us, but for all that you have made. And will you gently show us those changes that we might need to make in our own lives to bring us more into line with your desire for us, with your plan and your design for our lives. Because when we come to you like this, when we come to worship, we realize really quite quickly that we're not quite all that we should be. We're sorry, Father, for the things that we say and think and do, which bring no glory to your name. They get in the way of our witness. God, help us. We don't want to be like that, but we feel ourselves pulled and pushed this way and that. God, will you help us to remain firmly focused on all that you are and on all that you have done for us? And will you use us for the furtherance of your kingdom? Will you, will you come and speak to us again? Help us to be more, more useful to you, more in line with what you hope for with what you want 
in us and for us. We ask all of this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, We're in the early stages of our series in the Acts of the Apostles, and uh, I've been to the internet to find the Bible Project again, and they have two video clips uh, on the Acts of the Apostles. I'm going to show you the first one this morning. It's about eight minutes long, and it just gives us the context of the first half of the book, Uh, and it will help, hopefully, uh, all of us grasp what we're about uh, as I continue to preach through this book. So let's hear that. Let's have a look at that video clip. The Book of Acts. It's the second volume of a unified two-part work that today we call Luke-Acts. These were written by the same author, Luke, who was a traveling co-worker with Paul. This is clear from the book's introduction, where Luke says, I produced my first volume, that's the gospel, about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now Luke's giving a clue here as to what this book of Acts will be about. Volume 1 was about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Volume 2 will then be about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Which leads to a really interesting point about the book's traditional but not original name, the Acts of the Apostles. While different apostles do appear in most of these stories, the only single character who unifies the whole story from beginning to end is Jesus himself, acting directly or through the Spirit. And so the book would more accurately be named The Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. The book's introduction recounts how the risen Jesus spends some 40 days with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. This connects back to the story of Luke's gospel, where Jesus claimed that he was restoring God's kingdom over the world, beginning with Israel. So he called Israel to live under God's reign by following him. And he was enthroned as king when he gave up his life and then conquered death with his love. And so the book of Acts begins with the risen King Jesus instructing his disciples about life in his kingdom. So he promises that the Spirit will soon come and immerse them in his personal presence. And this fulfills one of the key hopes from the Old Testament prophets, that in the Messianic kingdom, God's presence, his Spirit, would come and take up residence among his people in a new temple and transform their hearts. And so Jesus says, when this happens, the Spirit will empower his disciples to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. From here, Jesus is taken up from their sight in a cloud. It's an image drawn from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. It shows how Jesus is now being enthroned as the Son of Man who was vindicated after his suffering and now shares in God's rule over the world. And so he promises that he will return one day. And so the main themes and the design of the book of Acts flow right out of this opening chapter. This is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign. And so the story will begin with that message spreading in Jerusalem and then into the neighboring regions of Judea and Samaria full of non-Jewish people. And then from there out to all of the nations into the ends of the earth. This video is just going to focus on the first half of the book. 
So the Jerusalem-focused section begins with Jesus' followers waiting until the Feast of Pentecost when all of these Jewish pilgrims from all over the ancient world were in the city. And the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples as a great wind and something like flames appear over each person's head and together they start announcing and telling stories of God's mighty deeds. And they're speaking in all of these languages that they didn't know before, but all the people gathered there understand perfectly. Now, in order to see what Luke's emphasizing in this story, it's crucial to see the Old Testament roots of all of these images. So first, the wind and the fire is a direct allusion to the stories about God's glorious fiery presence filling the tabernacle and the temple. And it's also connected to the prophetic promises that God would come and live by his spirit in the new temple of the messianic kingdom. And so here in Acts, God's fiery presence comes to dwell not in a building, but in his people. Luke is saying that the new temple promised by the prophets is Jesus' new covenant family, the people of Jesus, which connects to the second thing Luke is trying to say here. So the prophets promised that when God came to dwell in his new temple, he would reunify all the tribes of Israel under the messianic king and that the good news of God's reign would go out and be announced to the nations. Luke describes in detail the international multi-tribe makeup of all of the Israelites who were there at Pentecost and who responded to Peter's message. And so the apostles keep calling Israelites to acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah, and thousands upon thousands respond, forming new communities of generosity and worship and celebration. But not everybody's celebrating. From here, Luke shows how Jesus' new family quickly faced hostility from the Jerusalem leaders. With a really beautiful symmetrical design, Luke tells a tale of two temples. So God's new temple, the community of Jesus' followers, they're gathering every day in the temple courts and from house to house. Now, in between those notices are two stories about Peter and the other apostles healing people in the temple courts, only to get arrested by the temple leaders, followed each time by a speech of Peter claiming that Jesus is the true king of Israel. And at the center of all this is a story about Jesus' followers donating property and possessions to a common fund to help the poor which is really cool, but it seems kind of random for Luke to mention it here, until you realize that this was a practice described in the laws of the Torah and was supposed to be happening through the Jerusalem temple and its leaders. So Luke's point here is clear. The new temple of Jesus' community is fulfilling the purpose that God always intended for the Jerusalem temple, to be a place where heaven and earth meet, where people encounter God's generosity and healing presence. And this conflict between the two temples, it culminates in Acts chapter 6 and 7. It's the first wave of persecution. So Jesus' followers, they continue to multiply, requiring more leaders. And one of these, Stephen, he's a bold witness for Jesus in Jerusalem. And he ends up getting arrested, and he's accused of speaking against and even threatening the temple. And so Stephen here gives a long speech showing how Israel's leaders have always rejected the messengers God sent them, including Jesus and now his disciples. So the Jerusalem leaders are enraged. They murder Stephen and they launch a wave of persecution against Jesus' followers that drives most of them from the city. But it has a paradoxical effect. Luke shows how this tragedy actually became the means by which Jesus' people are now sent out into Judea and Samaria. 
Now, in this section, Luke has collected a diverse group of stories that all show how the mostly Jewish, Jerusalem-based community of Jesus became a multi-ethnic international movement. So first is the mission of Philip into Samaria. It's the land of Israel's hated enemies, and many of them come to follow Jesus. Next, we have the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, later known as Paul. He was the sworn enemy and persecutor of Jesus' followers until he personally met the risen Jesus, and he then became a passionate advocate on behalf of Jesus. Next is the story of Peter having a vision about how God doesn't consider non-Jewish people ritually impure or unworthy of joining Jesus' family. And so Peter, he's led by the Spirit into the house of a Roman soldier full of non-Jewish people, and they all respond to the good news about Jesus. In fact, the Spirit shows up powerfully upon them just as he did to the Jewish disciples back in chapter 2. These themes all come together in the founding of the church in Antioch, the largest, most cosmopolitan city in that part of the Roman Empire. And Luke, he tells us that Barnabas, a Jewish leader from the Jerusalem church, went along with Paul to help lead this church community. And so it became the first large multi-ethnic church in history. It was where Jesus' followers were called Christians for the first time. And it's from here that the first international missionaries were sent out. And so we see Jesus' commission coming true, and this takes us into the rest of Luke's story. But for now, that's the first half of the book of Acts. There you go. That's not bad, is it? Half of the book of the Acts in about eight minutes. Uh, All those videos are on uh, YouTube, so find YouTube and search The Bible Project, and you'll find lots and lots of really good stuff there. Robert. Our reading is taken from Acts chapter 2 and beginning at verse 22. That's word. (laughs) Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we were all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Robert. So we'll sing together once again, uh, Build Your Kingdom Here. If you're able, please stand. A energetic yeah. song. <laughs> I want you to cast your minds back to when we were in lockdown, <laughs> and this song was the song that the boys in the band played when they weren't allowed to come in the building, and they sat round the cross, and there was a video of them playing this. Yeah. That's the recording we're going to sing to now, and you've got to give it some welly. Let me read you the words of the first verse, talking about the Spirit. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. All three verses are good words. Let's enjoy. Come set your rule and reign. In our hearts again, increase in us we pray, unveil why we may. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wire on our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church, and we need your power. We seek your kingdom first, we hunger and we thirst, refuse to waste our lives for your joy and pride. To see the captives' hearts released, the hurt, the sick, the poor at least. We lay down our lives for heaven's cause. We are your church. We pray with this Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire, win this nation back, change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here, we 
again we've come to say thank you in this most practical of ways please take all that we have and all that we are and use even us to further your kingdom amen Amen. now if you're involved with junior church it's time for you to take your leave the lord Lord be be with you. you Come to our prayers of intercession. Let us pray. We're glad to be able to come and do this, Lord, as part of our service. We often say this. When we're faced with the needs of the world, it can be quite overwhelming. We feel quite small and sometimes helpless and lost. We're very glad that you are a loving Heavenly Father and you delight in being with your children and in hearing our prayers. And we need you today. We look at the state of the world and it really just takes our breath away at how bad things seem to be. The war in Ukraine rumbles on. There seems to be toing and froing with neither side gaining the upper hand. We wonder how long that can go on for. And we wonder quite how and when it will end. And what will the world look like when it has come to an end? How will 
the leaders of nations regard one another? How will they speak to one another? How will they deal with one another? This is all way beyond our pay grade, but certainly not yours. We know that you are a God who longs for justice. And we pray for peace with justice. We don't know what that looks like, but you do. Although Hong Kong is not in our news as much as it was in the past, we are aware, Lord, that China continues to grip that place very firmly and stifle any criticism uh, of government, any criticism of leadership. Again, we wonder quite what will happen. The people of Hong Kong were promised that they could live in the way that they were living under British rule. And over time, that seems to be proving to not be the case. We know that many Hong Kongers have left and many have found their way here. We pray that they will settle quickly, that they will find their place. And for those that know you and love you, Lord, we pray that they might find a spiritual home amongst your people in this land. Although they are not necessarily visible to us in quite the way that they were some months ago, we have not forgotten them. And we pray that you will bless and encourage our sisters and brothers in Christ as they seek to witness bravely and courageously and seek freedoms in their own land. We're very pleased, Lord, that the boaters are among us today. Thank you for all those that have been traveling uh, over the past few days to get here. One cannot rush on a narrow boat. So this has taken quite some thinking and quite some planning to get everybody together. We're very glad uh, that folk have set their minds to this. Glad that they're here. Glad that there is opportunity to have impact in our community for your sake, Lord. Thank you for all the opportunities that are going to unfold in the days that lie ahead. Thank you for our service next Sunday, which will be led by our friends, the boaters. We pray that we might do our part, bring friends and neighbours to things that have been laid on, encourage folk to go on a boat trip, to enjoy the canal, to engage in conversation, maybe to hear a little about you. Thank you for this gentle opportunity to introduce people to you. We pray that you will bless this coming week. We pray that many more seeds will be sown. And please God, may there be a little fruit too. 
And as we think about evangelism and engaging others in your name, we think about this church, Spurgeon Baptist, as they look to the future. Um, work is going on to prepare for future ministry. Father God, will you bless everyone in this church? Give them a clarity of thought. Help them to listen carefully to you and to one, and to one another as they think about who might come next. We pray that even now you will be preparing your minister for this place. The right person to take the church on in the next phase of their work and life with you. We thank you, Father, that you have this in hand. We think about our friends. Some are rejoicing and very happy with their lot. Others are quite unwell. Some are bereaved. As we picture them in our mind's eye, Lord, we pray that you will come to them and that you will be all that they need. We gather up all of our prayers as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So we'll sing together once again. If you're able, please stand. How deep the Father's love for us. The Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his Oh, 
among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there, until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is So the disciples were all gathered in the upper room, <clears throat> Excuse me. they were waiting for that gift that Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they spill out of the room uh, and find themselves out in the public square declaring the wonders of God in all of the known languages of the world. Uh, and it seems all the world is there because they hear uh, this proclamation. Uh, and some uh, say, no, well, they're just drunk. And then Peter begins to speak. And we pick up his sermon uh, partway through. Uh, <clears throat> he's already referred to uh, the prophets and said, what you see and hear happening amongst you now is a fulfillment of that prophetic word from so many generations ago. And then in verse 22, he speaks about uh, the ministry and life of Jesus. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. It was public. Jesus' ministry was public. It was out in the open. Uh, it was in the synagogues, it was in the temple, in the temple courtyards, it was in people's houses, it was in the town squares, it was on the highways and byways. He drew massive crowds wherever he went. It was public. Everyone saw, everyone heard. They heard the stories that he told. They saw him heal people. They saw him rebuke demons and tell them to depart, and they did. They saw and heard everything. And of course, the most miraculous sign of all, the changed life. And we think about those many that made public declarations. I think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, uh, who just wanted a glimpse of this Jesus, but because he was small 
And because he was not well-liked, because he was a tax collector, uh, he had to run, didn't he, down the road and find a tree, climb the tree. Jesus stops at the foot of the tree. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to come and have lunch with you today. And they have lunch together, he and all of his friends and Jesus and his disciples. And at the end of it, Zacchaeus says, if I have cheated anyone, if I have cheated anyone, he was a tax collector, of course he cheated not anyone, but everyone. But it was a changed life. He was different. He made restitution. He gave away stuff. This life and ministry of Jesus was public. And then Peter speaks about his death. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. His death was public. Everyone saw it. It was in the public place of execution, just outside of the city walls. It was on a hill. Uh, It was raised up. He was raised up on a cross by God's will and foreknowledge at the hands of wicked men and by the will of God. It's not an accident. It was not an accident. It was not an illusion. It was real. His life and ministry and his death were real public events. And then verses 24 to 32. I won't read all of that. All of that, but it's all about his resurrection. His resurrection was public. His risen body was seen. He spoke with people. He ate with people. He talked to people. He listened to people over a 40-day period. It was public. His resurrection was a reality. It was true. It was witnessed. Now, if you come here regularly, you know that we have rehearsed all of the arguments that very often come up at this time of the year. Um, People wanting to say that the resurrection was not actually a physical reality. Uh, Somehow or other, Uh, This story of resurrection was concocted by the early church because they wanted to believe that this would be so. Uh, And when it wasn't so, they just made up this story to try and perpetuate uh, the Jesus myth, the Jesus story, uh, and the, the founding of the church. And we've talked a lot about all of those things. So, uh, Jesus didn't really die. And he escaped from the tomb. Uh, The disciples stole the body. The authorities stole the body. Well, those things can't be so. They can't be so. Uh, The Bible is really reticent about resurrection, sorry, not about resurrection, about death on the cross and about the scourging that Jesus received before he was nailed to the cross. Uh, And the fact that it happened such a long time ago, sometimes, you know, people say, well, you know, they were primitive people, they didn't really know what they were doing, it wasn't like it is today, etc., etc. 
Uh, the Roman Empire was the dominant world power of the day. They ruled the known world at this time. They had a great uh, administration. They had a great bureaucracy. They had the most powerful army of the day. They knew how to deal with people. They had law. They were aware of what the law required. They knew how to carry out the requirements of the law. They knew how to put people to death when it was necessary and required. If Roman soldiers put you to death, you were dead. If you were whipped and scourged by Roman soldiers, most of the skin would come off your back. Your internal organs would be exposed. It was horrific. And you think two or three days in a cool cave would restore you. You think that you would be strong enough to move a massive stone away from the front of that tomb. I don't think these arguments stand up. All the disciples stole the body to make up this story and, and you know, to be able to say, well, of course he rose from the dead. So when the authorities come for you and say to you, now tell us, this Jesus, you say he rose from the dead. We don't think he did. We think he's still dead. No, no, he rose from the dead. Right. Immense pain is coming your way. Are you sure this Jesus rose from the dead? Yes. We're going to burn you alive. Are you sure this Jesus rose from the dead? Yes. We're going to put you in the arena and we're going to release wild animals to tear you limb from limb. Are you sure this Jesus rose from the dead? Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. I think if the disciples stole the body, this story would not have held up for the first generation, let alone all these many generations since. The authorities stole the body. Well, of course they did. And when these ridiculous stories about Jesus rising from the dead started to circulate, all they had to do and all they did was just bring out the body and say, look, he's still dead. They did not do that. They did not do that because they could not do that. They could not do that because he rose from the dead. He is alive. He appeared alive to people. The disciples did not believe it to begin with. The post-resurrection stories that we examined in those Sundays following Easter are quite clear. Despite Jesus' best efforts, despite all of his teaching, whilst he was still with them, they did not believe what he had said. 
Mary and the others turning up with spices to anoint the body as their last act of love for the one that they had known and loved so well all of that time they were with him. And when they go in and he's not there, their assumption is that someone has moved the body. Mary certainly felt that and thought that. And it's only when Jesus speaks her name that she realizes he is alive. Those two on the road to Emmaus, who don't realize it's him until they get home with him, and he breaks the bread. And suddenly they can see. He appears alive. It's not that the body was stolen or that something, you know, that it was spirited away somewhere. He rose from the dead. It is true. And now he's exalted uh, and he's in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. And there is a consequence. Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And that declaration demands a response. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sin, conscience-stricken. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. Can you hear this? Will you hear this? Especially, friends, if you are one of those dear, dear souls who thinks they are not worthy. No one could love you. No one could love you like this. Yes, they can. And they do. Can you hear this? Will you hear this? It is for you. It is for you, especially if you have been doing okay. And then you've fallen down in your walk with the Lord. You think that what you've done or said or thought, well, that is so bad that God could never look at you again. I don't know why you're here or how you got here today, but I'm very glad that you did make it here because this is for you, for all who are near or far off. What shall we do? Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus. Receive the forgiveness that God wants to offer to you and is offering to you right now. Be baptized in his name. Receive the Spirit. That's what you need to do. Brothers, what shall we do? Repent, believe, 
be baptized, receive the Spirit. It's the beginning of a new life. Do you want it? Let's pray together. So much waits for us, Lord. You have so much for us. And you're just waiting for us to take that step back towards you. Like the prodigal in the story that you told. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and ran to greet him. There may be some who are far off or feel they are far off here this morning. And they're just starting, Lord, to make that step back towards you. Gather them up in your arms. Bless them and love them. Hold them. Encourage them. And indeed us too, we pray. We long to see men and women of all ages, young and old, coming into your kingdom. Draw near to us as we seek to draw near to you. We ask it all in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day day. We've got a whole week of mission coming up. No pressure, boaters. (laughs) No pressure, church. We're doing this together. Please pop down to the canal side sometime this week. Uh, If you haven't already booked for a boat trip, find Ruth. There may be one or two slots left. Um, As you're walking along the, uh, the towpath, you'll become aware of where the boaters are. Uh, and you'll find them. And I'm pretty sure you'll receive a very warm welcome. Right, that's the plug. We're going to sing together once again. Last hymn today. Uh, If you're able, please stand as we sing, O Praise the Name. Oh, praise His name forever. 